With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to That Christian Geeky Couple. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham and... Andrea Graham. And we're going to be talking about Doctor Who, the android invasion, starring Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor and Elizabeth Slayton. And in the story, the Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith land on Earth. Or do they? As they run into a town where everything is very strange. Um, the people are all acting like robots. Yeah, but what could be going on? Hmm, maybe they really are robots. Yeah, but, but what clues might we have to the fact that there are robots about? They're acting like robots. Are there any other external clues that might give the audience a hint? Like the title of the story. Yeah, plus those weird people in spacesuits. Yeah. yeah. It was a weird and creepy setup. I think particularly in the first episode. But it was kind of obvious uh, what was going on, that it involved androids. And there were a bunch of interesting setups, like all the money having the exact same date on it. The calendar in the town all having the same uh, date of the month. And, uh, it, and it's, a, it's a nice bit of chasing and uh, introdu- introduction of a... Uh, duplicate of uh, Sarah Jane, who uh, uh, leads to a very creepy uh, cliffhanger in episode two of the story. And really, the Doctor and Sarah Jane are the highlight of the episode. They're really fun to watch. And even though this is not one of their better stories by any means, um, they make it worth uh, watching. Um, Elizabeth, you know... Uh, Elizabeth Slayton, you know, really uh, had some great scenes, uh, particularly when she rescued the Doctor, and uh, and of course Tom Baker had some truly funny lines, uh, particularly the last episode when they do get back to Earth. He has that point where he knows that a, that a duplicate of him has been created, and he walks up to the guard. He says, have you seen me today? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, well, if you do see me, let me report it to me immediately. And um, it's, it's very well played by him. A kind of a cheap cliffhanger in epi- at the end of episode three, where he's like, "If we don't get into these cask into these boxes and get them properly sealed, the pressure will crush us." Well, Sarah Jane gets into her bo- her box, but it's not properly sealed. He doesn't get into a box at all, and so he's completely outside. And at the end of it, they're both fine, except Sarah Jane passed out when it was taken off. I guess the deforces weren't. I guess the weren't as bad as they thought they would be. No, um, I, we also 
uh, got to see the very last appearance of Harry Sullivan in the classic series. They need to improve their physics skills. I thought he had a degree in physics or something. I think the doctor's supposed to have a degree of and everything. Uh, exactly. So why was his physics calculation so wrong? I think it was cliffhanger physics. Because you get to a point in the episode where you have to say something dramatic leading into the next part. Um, you know, you could actually resolve your plot. <laughs> you know, not have a cliffhanger, actually have uh, all your loose ends tied up. And What type of madness is that? Um, you... You do see um, Harry Sullivan, who was a companion uh, with the uh, uh, Fourth Doctor and uh, Sarah Jane throughout Season 12. And for Terror of the Zygons, this is his very last uh, story. And uh, it, was, it was good to see uh, him in the, uh, in the, back in the series, even if it was just in a, um, if it was in a very minor role. Um, and, uh, you also got, uh, Mr. Benton back. So there were some nice, uh, nods, uh, classic series there and some somewhat disturbing scenes with the androids. Um, on the negative side, you have to keep in mind, this was a season 13 episode and season 13 led off with terror of the Zygons, which was about an alien species introducing, uh, duplicates of human beings. And now we have the android in invasion which is about alien beings and uh, aliens introducing duplicates of human beings um and then they have this astronaut who they um uh brainwashed and i kind of had some uh, problems with him and his naivete and then the fact that he didn't know that he actually had uh an eye where he, ha under an eye pitch, the aliens had put on him because they said that uh, they couldn't find his eye when they were reconstructing him. But you had an interesting point on that. That made sense to me. What didn't make sense to me is that somebody so seriously brainwashed was so easy to convince that he did, in fact, have an eye. Or that these people had, in fact, lied to him. Usually once his brain has been warped with... Uh, with his worldview, he's going to want to protect it. And he's more likely to have basically look at, lift a patch and if either swear up and down his vision is like blurry or something that he can't really see out of that eye well and does need the patch or say, oh, the patch worked. See, they saved my eyesight. Um, yeah, and I kind of wonder why the aliens, um, went ahead and, um, uh, I think they were the crawl, uh, this, this week, why they actually told him that they'd lost his eye, um, other than to set up that scene. They, they were not the brightest Doctor Who villains. I, I, I don't think Big Finish has brought them back. Probably exerting their control over him, most likely. 
I suppose, but they were not very memorable or in many ways very smart villains. Their entire plot to infect Sarah Jane and to test how their virus would affect humanity depended on her drinking water, which she actually spilled in order to conduct electricity to stop her uh, andro- to stop the androids. You know, it's amazing. She spilled out the water and the virus didn't manage to infect it managed not to infect anything. Well, it must be that the virus, uh, to get started anyway, has to be ingested um, rather than smelt. Usually you can absorb water and anything in the water through the skin. Yeah, and so, yeah, that part didn't make sense. And like I said, it was too close to Terror of the Zygons, which is a fantastic story. And this one... Well, in defense, the skin is supposed to keep out stuff like viruses, but... I mean, if any, if you'd had a cut or something like that, like I said, there's still ways that spilled water could have ended up hurting something. Well, Sarah Jane doesn't get cut. She only trips and hurts her ankle. There's a point where the villain tripped into something and got all weird green stuff. That was at the end. He spilled it on himself and that killed him. The virus. Yes. Um, no. Why would they use a biological agent that they are themselves vulnerable to? Well, their plan was to go ahead and to uh, stay in space for three weeks until the virus ran its course. Well, the thing is, it would have been, you know, much safer and more efficient for their plans to simply use a biological agent that we are vulnerable to that they are not. Well, they didn't have time to develop that. And wait a second, the alien leader They're didn't stay very smart. The alien leader didn't stay on his spaceship. He came down with the astronauts. Uh-huh. And what makes you think and what makes you think and how do they know that something, a chemical biological agent that they are vulnerable to is something that human beings are also vulnerable to? They meant to test it on Sarah Jane. That's why they sent her water to drink, and they would eventually find out if it killed her, though after they actually got to Earth with their invasion force of androids. And they didn't wait to actually see how the test went. You know? <laughs> Are these aliens so deliberately not very bright at all? How did they manage to accomplish any of what they did accomplish? Um, I don't know. They did say the doctor was a libertarian, which I guess is good news for their party uh, nominee. Anyway. The doctor's a libertarian, huh? Yeah, that the doctors work for libertarian causes, though perhaps that term hadn't come to mean what it does today. What did they mean by libertarian back then? Yeah, like for liberty and freedom and not being enslaved and stuff. Okay, so this was definitely not as good as Terror of the Zygons. This is the invasion of the poorly planned invasion. Would have been an appropriate uh, title as well. Um, it would have been funny if the doctor had done nothing. If Iris had diddly, done diddly squat to humans, they'd showed up in three weeks expecting to find us all dead and stare around at us as we're all fine as they step into the puddle of the stuff they had left in our water supplies weeks ago and turn into green mush themselves. 
That would be funny. But for what we have, I will give this one six tortoises out of ten. It gets that much? Elizabeth Slade and Tom Baker. Really dumb. Hard to take serious villains. But Elizabeth Slade and Tom Baker. You're right. They were in it, so I will give it a five. Okay, thank you very much. And now, on to some books and stuff that I finished this week. And I finished quite a few. Um, we start with The Survivors by Terry Nation, who wrote this script. And The Survivors deals with the aftermath of a deadly virus hitting the Earth and killing most of the people on it. Unlike uh, The Walking Dead or some sort of zombie story, it's more concerned with realism. What it would be like, what, how would some people act or respond to this sort of crisis. A novel was adapted from the first few episodes of Terry Nation's uh, TV series, and it's a very well-told and intricate story with great characters. Uh, I listened to the audiobook from Big Finish, which is read by Carolyn Seymour, who played the role of Abby Grant, a woman who lost her family and uh, is basically charged with leading a community in Great Britain. It's an interesting look, I think in particular, at how this sort of catastrophe would affect America. Uh, and many things do lead to this, such as the lack of um, space for burying bodies, which leads to many cities becoming quite unsanitary. It's a very intricate look at what happens, uh, I think, particularly in this very secular um, country, which uh, Great Britain was even in the 1970s and how they deal with and survive. Solidly written, and I think the narration by Carolyn Seymour does a great job capturing all the characters, and uh, for just uh, pure realism, uh, I, I think it's worth a listen. Uh, it doesn't try to think be excessively grim, except for the ending, which is very different from what happened on the TV show. But overall, I'll give the audiobook a 9 Plague Survivors out of 10. And then we move on to the audiobook Doctor Who The Forever Trap. Uh, oftentimes, it does seem like many people who write new series Doctor Who books have the idea of merely placing the Doctor uh, in a base under siege uh, situation with uh, uh, alien races who look like walking versions of human races, of human uh of uh, earth animals such as uh, uh, centaurs or uh, talking badgers, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, this this uh, book really does take a different turn. As the Doctor and Donna find themselves, and this is the 10th Doctor, in a uh, luxury apartment building where tenants are being drawn in throughout the universe. And oftentimes, uh, people who should never be together at all by an aggressive sales uh, hologram. The story has some great humorous moments, but also some very serious and creepy uh, moments. Plus, one thing I like about this, uh, the 
Tenth Doctor uh, audiobooks uh, that I've listened to before have uh, tended to break up the Doctor and Donna, which is kind of a shame since they're such a great uh, combination. And here we get to enjoy them throughout the whole story. And Catherine Tate does a good job capturing both characters. Uh, and so it's just an absolutely delightful book. And I will give that one nine tortoises out of ten. And in the book category, we also have The Essential Captain America Volume 2. And this collects issues 103 to 126 of Captain America. By, uh, written by Stan Lee, but the art is uh, a wide variety, and it's all good. Uh, you start off with Jack Kirby, the creator of Captain America. You go to Jim Steranko, who uh, had a brief career at Marvel Comics, but very memorable for this very distinct art style. And then you go to Gene Colan, um, who... Uh, did so much great work on Daredevil. And the whole comic just comes to life. And it's an absolutely uh, wonderful and beautiful uh, art. The stories are mostly good. Uh, there's a great uh, Red Skull story, as well as a fake-out Death of Captain America story. We also see the very first appearance of the Falcon, uh, who would become such a key character uh, in the Marvel Universe. Now, there are some one-shot stories which are a little weaker. Um, Marvel, in the late 60s, got to a point where because of reader feedback, they decided to move away from multi-part stories and make every issue self-contained. And some of the Cap stories suffer because they really need to be more big and more epic than that. Uh, there's also uh, some issues with the way the relationship between Sharon Carter and... Uh, Steve Rogers is written. It may have been more true to the 1960s, but from a more modern uh, reader's perspective, comes off as kind of annoying. But it's interesting in the idea that they're both so dedicated to their work that uh, she won't quit and stay out of harm's way, which really causes him a lot of heartache. Overall, the stories are interesting enough, but the art really makes this a must-read collection. So Essential Captain America, nine Mighty Shields out of ten. Now on to audio dramas and uh, Iris Wild Time Series 3. And this sees the Trans-Temporal Adventures recovering, at, or Series 4, I should say. After the end of Series 3, she was knocked out by a future version of herself. And she finds herself trapped in a pleasure prison. It's not really a spoiler because it's kind of obvious, but it's well played out. And then the next adventure, not really related to anything, sees the birth of a galaxy-saving hero at a darts tournament in a small English town. Which is an absolutely hilarious concept, wonderfully played out, and pokes fun at darts tournaments and sports announcers. And then the final story has Iris facing down an evil elevator who's determined to make every person in the universe remember the works of an advertising music writer and to have them stuck in their head forever and ever throughout all time and space. It ends on a bit of a somber note, which doesn't fit Iris's uh, tone at all. And it's a bit of a cliffhanger, which is never resolved because the uh, 
existing series of Iris Wild Time was canceled, and when it returned with the Reloaded um, last year, the cliffhanger was never resolved. Still, if you like uh, science fiction with a bit of a humorous twist, Iris Wild Time Series 4 is uh, worth a listen. All right. Doctor Who, Shadow of the Scourge. This was an older uh, release. And in it, uh, there is a, uh, a hotel in which three different conventions are being held. And where the Doctor is trying to... Dis- to uh, uh, the seventh doctor, along with Ace and Bernice Summerfield, is trying to con evil interdimensional aliens who are determined to uh, dominate the Earth and to have everyone in suffering, pain, and sorrow for the rest of their existence. And the doctor thinks he can beat them. Instead, he does get kind of con, and the, our heroes are in serious trouble. This is a well-told story. It's definitely got a uh, competing uh, worldview in terms of its view of uh, guilt and the basic problems uh, of humanity. Uh, According to Shadow of the Scourge, a problem really does come down to uh, our guilt. And if we can get rid of that, we're all good. Of course, without any acknowledgement of personal responsibility or the need to actually repent or turn from uh, sin in any way definitely fits the more gray area feeling of a lot of the virgin new adventure models uh, novels in which Bernice Summerfield appeared. It's a well-produced work, but certainly its message is a bit flawed. Still, just on its production value, give it an 8 out of 10, but be prepared to write an essay later. Then we turn to the uh, release, The Death Collectors. And in it, the doctor uh, runs into a scientist who is running experiments on death as well as a species known as the dar traders a species who are in a state of living decay and literally trade in death and trade in short-term cheats on death once again this is a story it does uh, explore some interesting high concept ideas and there are some well-written uh, moments this is also one of those uh, stories where Big Finish, they did a release where there were three stories and then a one-parter. And the one-parter is uh, actually uh, a direct follow-up on the uh, three-part story. It's called Shadow of the Spider, and it's a fantastic little time loop story. And like I said, it does tie into the same story with the Dar Traders. And the Dar Traders are actually a pretty interesting alien species, uh, certainly well-voiced and with a bit of uh, complication to their motives that makes them just interesting characters uh, to listen to. Overall, the release is solidly done, though not essential. I'll give it seven tortoises out of ten. And finally, we turn to the mutant phase. And this is a very early Fifth Doctor release. And Big Finish had gotten into uh, like a rut with Daleks. Um, and I think that may be why some people don't rate this story very high. Because they had released three different Dalek stories out of uh, eight months. This one is actually probably the best of the lot. Fifth Doctor and Nyssa are caught in a time corridor, and the Daleks want the Doctor, but they don't want... They want his help, 
and there's a lot of mystery between what the Daleks want and why even the Thals are helping out the Daleks. Uh, the characterization of both the Doctor and Nyssa, I think, is brilliantly spot on. Uh, in, in an earlier release, Nissa, I think, had been written as a little bit too sarcastic, almost Tegan-esque. But in uh, the mutant phase, it's dialed back a bit. So she's assertive but not acerbic, which I think is a key thing. The story's got a great sense of mystery, uh, and there are plenty of surprises. One thing that's great about it is you can actually get it free from the Big Finish SoundCloud at uh, soundcloud.com slash bigfinish. But uh, overall, I will give uh, that uh, particular story, The Mutant Phase, 8 tortoises out of 10. All right, well, that is a lot of listening and reading. I had a busy week or a non-productive week, depending on how you looked at it. But I think that about finishes me up. Well, that's all for now. Thanks so much for listening. From Boise, Idaho, this is Adam. And Andrew Graham. Signing off. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.